This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Episode 428 of the Yellow World Pod. I'm your host, Stefan Butzko, and today we will talk about Borussia Dortmund's trip to Manchester, where they will face Manchester City on Wednesday night. For all that and more, joins me David Mooney from the Blue Moon Podcast. Hello, David. Welcome to the show and welcome back. Hello, Stefan. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, uh, but probably not as well as you are because you had a nice rest on this weekend, uh, not <laughs> playing against Tottenham, which I sure, I'm sure would have been a nice draining match because uh, obviously Manchester City right now in the Premier League sit in second place and Tottenham right behind. Meanwhile, Dortmund had to suffer a 3-0 loss away to Leipzig, which uh, yeah <laughs> did take a lot of wind out of Dortmund's sails ahead of this Champions League tie. So let's talk about it because uh, there are a lot of things to discuss. For example, that uh, Manchester City have four ex-Dortmund players, with uh, Erling Haaland obviously being the most prominent at the moment. But uh, first things first, Manchester City are leading Group G after pounding Sevilla 4-0 in Sevilla, which is something I think Dortmund fans did appreciate because uh, Sevilla, obviously, their main rival for that second spot in Group G and thus uh, Sevilla must lose twice to Manchester <laughs> City while Dortmund are hoping to steal a cheeky point uh, here or there. So, um, David, uh, there are a lot of questions and obviously I'm leading with the Dortmund perspective, which is how has Pep Guardiola integrated Erling Haaland into his system because that was the big question of him going to Manchester. How would that work? How did the setup, if at all, even change? Yeah, um, I, I, it's a really interesting kind of uh, angle, I think, on this one because um, if you if you go back to to 2016 when Guardiola first arrived at City, um, he had Sergio Aguero as as the number nine and the the main centre forward. And there was a lot of talk about whether Aguero did enough away from scoring goals. Now, Aguero's goal record was was ridiculously good. And so it sounds really daft to say he doesn't do enough in games. But there was there was a game that City played uh, a couple of years before that. They played um, Guardiola's Bayern Munich at the Etihad. And um, Bayern... City scored first, they went 1-0 up and Bayern went down to 10 men. And then, as is the way with the Guardiola team, they took control of the tie and they just they they bossed it. Uh, City ended up going two one down, and Aguero ended up scoring a hat trick to uh, for City to win three two in the final minutes of the game. And after that game, Guardiola and his assistant at the time, Dominic Torrent, said like they talked about what Aguero was bringing to City and what he was uh, what he was doing, and they were like, well, he can't, he needs to do more than just score a hat trick. Like, 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 if he touches the ball four times and scores three of them, then he he needs to get involved with the play a little bit more. And so, when Haaland signed last summer, I was expecting the the same sort of thing. I was expecting it to be a case of he's going to have to adapt a lot to to how Guardiola will want him to play as the, as the number nine of a City team. 
and he'll probably score a lot of goals in the meantime and we'll all sit there in press conferences saying to Guardiola what more can he do and Guardiola will say (laughs) well he needs to work on this this and this and this and we all look at Guardiola as if he's mad because he keeps scoring all these goals um but weirdly I actually think Guardiola's done the opposite I don't think Guardiola cares that much that he's that he's not dropping deep and getting involved in the build-up um and that's largely because Haaland's goal record so far is, I mean, it, it, it's on. It's early days, but it's on course to be better than Aguero's was. Um, Aguero, Aguero in, in Aguero's first, um, they had going into City's game against uh, Nottingham Forest. Uh, Aguero and Haaland had exactly the same kind of opening to their City careers, except in that game, Haaland scored a hat trick when Aguero scored a brace in what was in in kind of what would have been, I think, their seventh game. And uh, like it, it just it, it just shows that whatever Haaland is bringing is enough. And like Guardiola won't care if he has ten touches in an entire game if three of them go in the net and he gets an assist for an, for another one. And he, you know he's causing problems. And I think it's I, I do think it's changed how City play a little bit. Um, I don't think City have had control of games this season as much as they have in in previous seasons. Um, and I think a, a large part of that is down to the fact that um, Haaland is being allowed to to just kind of roam the the top of the pitch instead of having to come back and and kind of be a part of of the build up as Aguero did. Yeah, very interesting. Obviously, uh, I was uh, invited to uh, the BBC. Uh, I. I don't know which podcast it was, but it certainly did uh, talk about Erling Haaland and was asked, you know, if I think he would struggle. And I was like, no, <laughs> he's going to do better at Manchester because he has Kevin De Bruyne and others <laughs> around him than he did at Dortmund. And uh, I mean, right now uh, he has scored 10 goals in six games and even more ridiculous, his uh, per 90 average is 1.87, <laughs> which is just uh, crazy. So uh, the Dortmund average, I think, was somewhere... Well, it was above one, which is already world class, obviously. But uh, yeah, now it's uh, closer to two. And in the Champions League, I think it is above two because he did score twice and did not play for the entire 90 minutes. So um, yeah, yeah, we obviously all know that he uh, really has, uh, you know, hit the ground running and the only... it's a very small sample size, though, isn't it? It, so, it is. Like, it, yes. It, it's 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 we, we kind of see see where he is when he's played. I don't know a hundred games or whatever instead of ten. But here we are. Yeah, yeah, obviously. But uh, you know, can only talk about what happened so far. <laughs> um, True. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the the real question mark is obviously if he can stay healthy or not. So uh, having a break. Uh, during the week is obviously a big benefactor, but uh, obviously Manchester City are not just Erling Haaland. So um, I'm asking this everyone, and I think a lot of um, you know listeners do have a rough idea of who Manchester City are because they're, after all, I think the most valuable team in the world right now, sitting, I think, according to Transfermarkt, somewhere above 1 billion uh, euros, which is uh, just quite ridiculous. So you can make the argument that the uh, royal family of the UAE has uh, given Manchester City quite a big advantage that the uh, British royal family has done over the weekend. Um, nevertheless, um, what are their strengths and what are their weaknesses? Maybe starting with the strengths and uh, style of play first. Yeah, um, I'm I'm not 100% sure this season um, because it's only in the last couple of games where they've really started to put a, a 90 minutes performance together. Um, earlier in the season, I mean, like 
you start making excuses here, here, there, and and everywhere when you say things like, "Well, they had a they had a tough kind of twenty minute spell against Aston Villa, or uh, Newcastle <laughs> have been a, an interesting proposition this season." That was a that was a, a, a tough kind of forty minutes in the middle of the game. Um, but these are these are spells that City have to deal with, and they're they're spells that I've not been a hundred percent convinced with them when they've de- dealt with them. I mean, in, in fairness, they came out of both of those games uh, with a point. Um, Perhaps a little bit fortunate too in in places, but equally perhaps a little bit unfortunate not to have won the games in uh, in question. So it's it it's a really kind of difficult one to judge this season. Um, I mean, the most obvious strengths are the strengths that 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 you know listeners will know about from City from the last four, five, six years under Guardiola. Um, they move the ball quickly. They they are able to kind of force overloads um in, in various areas of the pitch. They they like to, to switch it across the pitch quickly to, to force an overload on the opposite um flank. And you know the Weirdly, one of the weaknesses up until Haaland arrived has been actually finishing chances. Uh, one of the one of the biggest weaknesses last season was they would they would get into positions where you would think, well, this is obviously a goal, and then somehow manage to, you know, try and find that extra pass that then ends up with somebody putting it wide or over the bar, or the goalkeeper makes a save, and they they just weren't putting the ball in the net, you know, sometimes when they absolutely should have done. Um, the vast majority of games that didn't matter because then you know ten minutes later somebody else came along and actually did put the ball in the net. Uh, these days, Haaland tends to do it when they when they need to. They've, I, I mean, the press around him after um, the Community Shield game against Liverpool was it, it, like looking back on it retrospectively, it's really funny. Um, because it, it, it seemed really quick for, for people to judge that uh, oh well you know he's, he's going to need a lot of time to adapt to life in England isn't he because he uh, he missed um, he, he missed a couple of good chances in that game he missed a one on one and he missed uh, the, there was a, a cross into the box that he he should have gone with his right foot and he went with his left foot and uh, ended up putting it over the bar and it, it was almost like well you know these sorts of things don't get punished in Germany they uh, and they get punished in England it's like how snobby can you be because they clearly do get punished in Germany and it's like like the German league is not some you know backwater division that is not like that is that is um, gone and bullied around it's a it's a decent standard um, and then you know a fortnight later he's uh, he's bagging a couple of hat tricks against um, um, I actually forget the first one but the second one was against Forest um and like all of a sudden it, it's well look at how quickly Haaland settled into this team so one of the strengths that they've got this season is that they seem to be able to score a lot easier out of nothing um and so keeping them keeping them quiet is it seems to be a, a, a pretty difficult task um in terms of weaknesses uh, I do worry about the defense a little bit um they obviously they they went out and, and signed a kanji late on in the window um part of that down, I think, simply to um, the fact that Laporte is a long way from coming back. He's he's just started full training again now, so he's uh, so he's getting there. But he's you know he's probably still another month away before he can he can actually play properly. Um, Ake has, has has really struggled with injuries. Um, he was he was starting the season really well and then got himself an injury and is now uh, fighting his way back from that. And then that kind of leaves you with Stones and Diaz, who you know as much as we love them. Stones knows that there is uh, well that there is always a dip in form around the corner for John Stones. He could always end up um, really struggling at a, a, a time, um, and Diaz has has struggled a little bit with injuries lately as well. So all of that in mind, they went out. They got a Kanji to to kind of come in and deputise. Then the the two fullbacks again. 
it feels like they've gone into this season vastly underprepared at fullback. Um, they got rid of Zinchenko, who, by all intents and purposes, didn't want to leave. Um, Cancelo is great at left back, but uh, we know that Kyle Walker performs better at right back when he's got competition. And suddenly, if Cancelo's having to play left back every week, then um, then Walker doesn't have that competition. Walker's also being asked to do something that 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 isn't that hasn't been part of his game, and kind of took in and become a holding midfielder, which. <clears throat> It feels like the wrong thing to do for Kyle Walker because that it doesn't play up to his strengths. Where weirdly, it does play up to the strengths of Zinchenko, who you've just sold this summer. So it just felt like a really kind of odd situation. Then obviously Sergio Gomez came in and um, and kind of occupied that left back berth against uh, against Sevilla. He he was originally a kind of developmental signing. He wasn't expected to be as involved in the first team as he might have to be now that they uh, that they didn't go out and get uh, get a left back. So I I just worry a little bit that that the defense is a little bit um, on its day. It's fine, but. Kind of any day could could suddenly not be its day anymore, and um, and and like the wheels could just fall off at any given moment, and that's when you that's when City might start to have a problem. Yeah, if I look at your lineup against Sevilla, uh, you had Cancelo starting as right back, at least if I'm uh, informed correctly here, and then you had uh, Gomez as a left back, and then Diaz and Akanji. So my question obviously has to be first and foremost, uh, what were your first impressions of Akanji? Because obviously Borussia Dortmund fans were very happy that uh, he found <laughs> a, a, a suitor very late in the window because uh, the club are obviously desperate uh, for that transfer money. Uh, otherwise, it would have been quite tricky uh, for their uh, bottom line going forward. Yeah, I think um, I, I, it sounds a funny one because it, it feels like City have got him quite cheaply. Um, They did. Because he, he, he looked... Like he well, he looked like he'd settled as quickly as you possibly could after a, a what four or five days of training and being thrown into a, a Pep Guardiola team. Um, he did perfectly fine. He didn't kind of set the world on fire. But then again, I, I I suspect that was part of the game plan. I don't think he went in there to set the world on fire. I think he went in there to make sure he made no mistakes and and make sure that that kind of he just hit the ground running in, in this city team. Um, and there was only positive impressions of him. I think he did. Uh, I think he did really well with what he had to do. Um, and so I, I kind of wonder if, if in all of this, it's kind of a deal that that everybody's going to be happy with. Akanji's got his move to uh, away from Dortmund, and and will maybe not play as much football as he would have done at other clubs because obviously City have uh, City have the five centre backs when they're all fit. Um, but he's he was able to seal that transfer that he wanted. Uh, Dortmund got the money. Well, maybe not the money that they wanted, but some money at least. Um, and City got a got a fairly decent player quite cheaply. So I think I, I think in a way everybody's happy. Um, and uh, and yeah, I uh, I think he did. Uh, I think he did really well. So when you talk about weaknesses, uh, all I heard is uh, you talking more about individual players. But are there structural weaknesses that Manchester City? City have? Uh, do they get beaten when their pressing isn't uh, on point or do they uh, suffer from set-piece goals like Dortmund occasionally do? 
Uh, set pieces is a weird one, actually, um, because uh, last season City had the best record in the Premier League of, of uh, defending set pieces. Um, and then I think I think they went all season and only conceded one from a free kick or corner. That's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and then this season, I mean, they conceded two in 20 minutes against Crystal Palace. So uh, it, it feels like that that kind of that the set piece thing has is may, they're maybe not as strong as they were previously. Um but I, I'm not seeing a particular trend just yet. Nothing, nothing to be uh, overly alarmed at. Um, City tend to get when City get beat. It tends to be this, this kind of this, this pattern of the pressing wasn't up to up to standard at, at uh, the top end of the pitch, um, or the opposition didn't fall foul of it. So the so the so City basically the opposition were perfect. They passed their way through it when when they really needed to. Um, and what the kind of knock-on effect for that is, is then it it, it forces City into defending 1v1 at uh, at the back. So you end up with, uh, let's take the Newcastle game, for instance, you end up with uh, runners running straight at uh, John Stones or uh, or Ruben Diaz. And, you know, by and large, it's fine. Like Defenders in Guardiola teams expect to be defending one-on-one quite a lot. Um but sometimes it just it, you know you, you you get a good move or you know defender slips or whatever and uh, and you create a chance like that. So when when it comes down to the games that that city really struggling, they struggled against Newcastle because they were counter pressed really effectively. Um, Newcastle were brave. The number of they had fast players and they kept putting them on the players that were kind of just alleviating pressure in the middle of the pitch. So an attack, a Newcastle attack would break down and City would try and get down the other end. And the one thing City do not want in these sorts of games is a basketball game. They don't want a game where you attack, we attack, you attack, we attack. Because what happens when when, when that happens is invariably City don't score their chances because they're, as I said before, they 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 kind of they get into good positions and then uh, fluff the lines, or they like it always feels like City underperform their expected goals, if that makes sense. Um, whereas the opposition, they come along and it's it's very much a case of we have to take our chances, and so like we do. City City have um, it's a meme among City fans that uh, City, when City lose games, it's uh, City shots thirty five shots on target, fifteen goals none. The opposition shots one one on target, one goal, <laughs> and like it, it, it's kind of a meme because it's kind of true. That's that's where. Um, City fall down sometimes, and the the biggest issue that I've seen City face for a long time came this season, and that was when Alan Saint Maximan was uh, basically running at Kyle Walker, who, would, who was tucked into as an invert in, as an inverted fullback, um, getting past him, and then running at John Stones and Ruben Diaz because City was suddenly defending with a back two, um, and. You know, it resulted in at least two of the goals from Newcastle came about through basically Alan St. Maximan getting the ball at his feet and running at defenders. So I don't know if that's specifically a structural weakness. I think a lot of fans would like to see Guardiola ditch the idea of having Kyle Walker as an inverted fullback. Um, I think the irony is that the the player better suited to doing that um from the right hand side would probably be Jao Cancelo but he's needed out on the left hand side to be able to uh since they since they sold Zinchenko and to make sure that they didn't have to rely on Gomez so i i don't know i think 
I, I think the system, the setup is is okay. Um, I think they're still learning how to how to play with this with this way of having um, one or both of the fullbacks come into the middle and, and make a midfield three with uh, with Rodri. Um, but I I, 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 I don't know. I don't know if Guardiola will continue to do that in, against teams as strong as, as as the likes of Dortmund, for instance. It, it might work fine when you go away to West Ham on the opening day of the season and they're not expecting it. It might work fine when you play in Bournemouth at home. You know, it didn't work against Newcastle at uh, at St James's Park. It didn't really work uh, against Aston Villa at, at, at Villa Park. So, you know, you suddenly start to throw in teams that are Champions League quality, and you know, it it might not work again there either. Well, we'll see about that. Especially, uh, I would be very intrigued if Borussia Dortmund were clinical in front of goal because that has been, obviously, since losing Haaland, but also just uh, structurally uh, been a, a major uh, <laughs> uh, thorn because Dortmund uh, so far in the Bundesliga, I think, have only scored eight goals. So uh, the scoring output really has uh, hampered them uh, so far. They have, in some games, created a lot of chances but not been able to finish or in others, uh, just uh, outright not created anything like in the 3-0 loss against Leipzig. So um, the good news for Dortmund is that uh, Daniel Malen and uh, Karim Adeyemi d did travel with the team to Manchester, who were obviously out for several weeks now. Uh, Adeyemi with a toe injury and Daniel Malen with muscular injury. So I do not know if they could start or not, but uh, it would just obviously be helpful because Alan San Maximums uh, and I, I watched the game uh, against Newcastle because it was uh, good fun, very entertaining. Um, his main strength, uh, among many other things, is obviously the, the pace, and uh, that is what Dortmund entirely lacks against Leipzig. Uh, Marius Wolf, uh, as an attacking midfielder, did not have the uh, yeah dynamic, really, to uh, trouble Leipzig. And uh, Marco Reus and Julian Brandt, everyone knows, um, are very capable players, but pace is not really uh, in their arsenal. So yeah. um, I'm really hoping that Dortmund uh, can increase their depth and uh, with that pace because that is probably the one weapon that they could potentially use against against Manchester City. I remember um, in, oh God, what year was it? Was it 2011 or 2012 when uh, Dortmund got a tie away to Manchester City and were uh, mostly the better team? Um, I mostly, mostly the better team. You battered us for 85 minutes and we scored a penalty at the end. <laughs> yeah, okay, well, I'd write the better team. <laughs> uh, when Jurgen Klopp, I think he fielded a 4-3-3 system and, uh, you know, he had a lot of pace. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, Jakub Laszikowski and Marco Reus back then because then he still was very pacey and uh, that worked out quite well. Um, now, that's obviously years ago. However... Um, I still think it is worth mentioning that Borussia uh, Dortmund um, yeah, did plan their squad to be very pacey, but uh, due to injuries uh, right now, they cannot replicate it. So I'm wondering uh, if they finally can do it against Manchester City because uh, I assume that Dortmund will mostly play on the counter-attack. That is uh, Edin Tessic's preferred style anyway. Right now, um, there are instances against uh, other teams, say Copenhagen, uh, where um, the roles are a bit different and Dortmund do press very aggressively, but I'm not entirely sure if they will do that against Manchester City. Um, but that all being said, the last time uh, these two sides met in the quarterfinals also had uh, Edin Tessic on the sideline and uh, 
you know, I would say that Dortmund did quite well in those two games. Uh, also was were a bit unlucky with refereeing calls and <laughs> the fact that Emre Can... <laughs> Um, yeah, is a very error prone. I'm not entirely sure if he's <laughs> going to play this time around or not. Um, he is certainly available and Dortmund probably need to rotate again because uh, the most important game of the season um, is right after the Manchester City game, which is, of course, the Revier Derby against Schalke and it's a home match. So you cannot, must not drop points against uh, Schalke. So from that perspective, uh, I don't know if Dom want to plan ahead, probably not considering uh, that Champions League football is also very important to them. But uh, yeah, this is sort of uh, what Dortmund have to offer and they obviously have to hope that uh, Jude Bellingham can pull out another world-class performance. It didn't quite <laughs> come up for him against Leipzig, but uh, you know, everyone is feeling their legs already. Um, so what if you look at this Dortmund team, what concerns you the most from a Manchester City perspective? Just to, to, to hear if there are any concerns about this Dortmund team right now. It is Bellingham uh, more than anything else, I think. Um, it's weird. I watched back uh, this morning the, uh, the two legs of uh, the quarterfinal from a couple of years ago. And um, Bellingham... At the Etihad, Bellingham should have had a goal. There was there was a moment where he, he tackled Edison and the referee gave a free kick, and it just wasn't a foul. Um, and weirdly, had that had he allowed play to go on and let Bellingham score, and then given the free kick, I reckon the VAR would have overturned it. But because he stopped the game, yes, um, City got away with that one. That's exa- um, exactly what happened. Very yeah, frustrating. And- and then um, I think Bellingham, I, I can't remember now off the top of my head, but I think he was involved in uh, the goal that would be uh, the equaliser in that leg for Dortmund just before City scored right at the end. Um, I think he knocked it into Haaland, who um, basically held off John Stones for a bit. And then uh, I think he flicked it round to uh, Royce, was it, who scored? Um, it's, a, it's a while ago, I've forgotten. Um, and then in the away leg, uh, Bellingham scored a belter anyway, um, and City were on the ropes for a little bit in that game until, as you say, Andre Chan uh, stuck his arm out needlessly for a cross <laughs> and uh, and gifted away back in. So, uh, like Bellingham does does scare me a little bit. I've got a friend who's a Birmingham City fan, and um, kind of when I, I when when we first talked about Bellingham moving to Borussia Dortmund he was like yeah this kid's going to th- this kid who is going to be one of the shining lights of world football in years to come and i was like but but i i don't understand why Borussia Dortmund are going after a, a like a teenager from a, a championship side a struggling championship side I, like, I don't i don't see how he makes that step up and 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 kind of does it immediately in the years that he's been there like his development has been has been fantastic he he has turned into I mean, he, he obviously, when he arrived, was already a pretty decent player. But when he's uh, while he's been there, he has just turned into a, a, an absolutely solid and spectacular midfielder. Um, and yeah, I so I, I I don't know a whole a whole lot about how Dortmund are going to set up for this game and and, and how they how they're going to play. Uh, I do know that if City are going to get a result, they're going to need to keep Bellingham quiet for uh, for the ninety minutes. Yeah, I, I mean, we can talk about the setup from my perspective, <laughs> since this is, after all, a Dortmund podcast, and I don't think you can provide too much insight. But if it were up to me, and I think uh, what I'm going to say is uh, going to shock a lot of my listeners, but uh, I would actually play Emre Can in this game. I would uh, once again set it up with a 4-3-3 system, because I think this is what uh, is needed, and then you would have a, a midfield three of uh, Özcan, 
Can and uh, Bellingham. I think this would suit Dortmund a little bit better if they are playing on the counter attack, just to um, yeah have a bit more uh, let's say uh, ball winning capabilities in the center of the field, and of course also to to tighten it and uh, you know have one of the defensive midfielders uh, drop in between the center back line uh, if necessary because I think Dortmund will suffer a lot of uh, low block pressure if you will. So um, from from that perspective, this is sort of what I uh, would do. And then uh, I would not play Anthony Modest at all. Uh, he right now is Dortmund's uh, very much struggling striker and he is not very involved in Dortmund's play whatsoever. And I don't think you can uh, afford that uh, detriment really uh, to your yeah. team. You need uh, someone who is a bit more involved. So I would play Adeyemi, Malen and Royce up front if they are um, available and... Uh, if not, you know, it, it has to be Julian Brandt, uh, who at least, uh, in theory, has the <laughs> wits to uh, play a decent possession football and keep the ball away from Manchester City for a bit. Because, you know, let's let's face it, uh, having possession against uh, Pep Guardiola team is usually very hard and uh, is also necessary to recover from the non-possession periods. Um, so this is sort of what I hope Dortmund can achieve and pull off but uh, yeah it's obviously going to be very tough on them uh, to do that because uh, Dortmund do struggle here and there and I'm not entirely sure if they have the energy level which uh, it's really what did them in against Leipzig it's not that um, yeah. all of a sudden That's... they forgot or unlearned how to play football it's just they are already tired and the the three uh, or the yeah the game a game every three day rhythm has uh, you know just only started yeah, that that's what um what's what one of the areas where I think City have been have been weakest this season is against teams that stop them doing. I mean, Guardiola has a phrase that he uses all the time. Um, that is, uh, he always says we need a thousand million passes, and um, what he means is get the ball and not just keep possession because Guardiola like I always I always think Guardiola must hate the phrase tick attacker because that I I what his teams do is not just knock the ball around in tight areas for no reason whatsoever there is the, the point is to move the opposition out out of position all the time and so when he says we need a thousand million passes what he means is get the ball towards the opposition goal keep it in their half and move them around and you know and and, and cause somebody to lose concentration and, and and create a gap or something like that and the t- the times when city have struggled this season it's been when they haven't been able to do that they haven't been able to to, to put that string of 30 40 50 passes together that sure might not create a goal but it might create a good opportunity to to get the opposition on the back foot um and i think of uh, especially the newcastle and the villa game those two matches in particular there were spells where the opposition were knocking it around and again not putting huge strings of passes together but city not being able to get into that rhythm meant it was much more of an end-to-end game than than, than guardiola would want it to be so I I I I always wonder when uh, when it comes to these sorts of games because obviously the, the the opposition in Dortmund are I I would say I would rank Dortmund as a better team than both uh, Newcastle and Villa who are the two teams that I think have caused City the most problems this season. So I don't go into this expecting Dortmund not to cause City problems. I, I there's uh, the other phrase that Guardiola uses all the time is um, we have to suffer we have to suffer in those moments. Um, and again, what he means is you have to accept the pressure. You have to accept that at some point, the other team will put you under pressure and, and, and it's how you deal with that. 
Um, by and large, City in the last few years, you know, 2019-20 aside, um, they've coped with that pressure pretty well. And it, it's a case of, of just basically not losing your head when the opposition have got the tails up. They did that. They 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 fought, That's how they fought back into the game against Newcastle. Um, and that's how they ended up to basically not losing the game against Villa um, by accepting the pressure, accepting that they were that they were on the back foot, and trying to work a way to get those passes going again, take control of the game, and move higher up the pitch. Um, so if, if Dortmund come to the Etihad on Wednesday and they are uh, they they push high up and uh, and try and press City, but also keep a very good and solid shape. It could be quite an interesting way. It could be quite an interesting game to see how City try and do that that thousand million passes to <laughs> to take control of it and, and and kind of force Dortmund back. Sevilla, I didn't I didn't think Sevilla were um, they weren't great, but they weren't that bad in the um, in in the first half, especially against City. Um, and it was only when the game opened up towards the end that City were able to get a few goals. But there was there was a few spells where okay, Sevilla didn't actually threaten City's goal, but they were able to knock City out of the rhythm, and they were able to just not let them get into that 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 kind of passing rhythm. And that happens for twenty minutes or so, and and the fans start going, "This isn't a good performance so far," and they need to book their ideas up if this is if they if they're going to change it. And I, and so I wonder if actually if it, that game being away from home helped because the it wasn't the the you know the, that feeling coming from the away fans. There's only a couple of thousand of them. Um, from the home fans, it's it's suddenly a lot. Uh, there's there's suddenly a lot more pressure there. Um, so it will be interesting to see how uh, how both teams approach it. Yeah, can you give me a scoreline prediction? Um, I'm I'm rubbish at these, um, <laughs> which fine. is why I which is why I I, I never I never get uh, I, I I never leave myself the, the chance to do it on uh, on Blue Moon. Um, I don't know. I'm going to say that I think it'll be uh, a really, really tight game, and uh, I think City will just edge it two-one, like uh, like in that quarter-final a few years ago. Well, that that would be great actually for Dortmund because goal difference and whatnot. But uh, I'm actually not as optimistic, uh, really. Uh, for the first time, I'm I'm really thinking that Dortmund uh, do not have what it takes uh, to go up against Manchester City because. Uh, they're already running on fumes, and obviously um, that could also mean that they're inconsistent. Maybe they uh, bring what they need to bring against Manchester City, but then in the league uh, look a little lackluster. That can obviously happen, and uh, for a Champions League night, you almost have to hope for. But um, also, they're missing Grigor Kobel, who is a massive dis- difference maker against uh, Leipzig. You could already see that Alex Mala- Ma- sorry, that Alex Meyer struggled a little bit um, the first uh corner that Dortmund did concede uh, probably was savable and uh, so with that in mind I actually do think that especially uh, you know Erling Haaland uh, being more motivated than ever probably uh, will get a couple of goals here and there and uh, you know Kevin De Bruyne, Phil Foden and, and such and uh, of course Ilkay Gunnar are also around so the depth uh, is incredible and especially in the later phases of the game I think Dortmund will suffer a lot so I'm uh, predicting a 4-1 win to uh, Manchester City if I'm uh, realistic about it. Would very much take that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, David. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Uh, that is it uh, for us for this. Uh, well, it's not f- for this week because we will obviously be back with a more regular episode on Thursday. Um, but uh, with our Champions League preview, that is it. Uh, David, thank you so much for your time. Uh, please tell our listeners uh, if they want to hear more of a Manchester City perspective where they can do that. 
Uh, yes, I uh, I do uh, Blue Moon podcast, which if you uh, stick it into Google, you'll find it wherever you get your podcasts in in that old uh, that old line that uh, has become a catchphrase for all of us <laughs> podcasters these days. Um, and I do the Athletic uh, podcast, Why Always Us, as well. Um, so uh, if you if you if you're not bored by me wanging on about City, uh, <laughs> then there's uh, there's about two hours of City radio there every week. Yeah, that is very awesome. So uh, yeah, thank you again for your time and everyone else out there. Thank you for listening until next time goodbye